Good morning and uh, welcome, everybody. Great to see you. Uh, good to be together with you. Those of, us, those of you joining us online, hey, great to have you. We appreciate you uh, connecting with us uh, today. How's everybody doing? You guys in a good mood? Feeling good? Okay. All right. Good to see you. There we go. That's better. Hey, glad that you're uh, here. Question for you. How many of you have ever heard of the term FOMO uh, before? Show of hands. It's uh, F-O-M-O, stands for fear of missing out. Okay, a few of you. Uh, FOMO is a fear of not being included, a fear of not being where the action is. About a year ago, they made a movie and, uh, about FOMO, and it's really terrifying. So take a look. Yeah, I've been hearing about lots of crazy things happening tonight. Things you don't forget. Things people be talking about for weeks. Dana, what is it? It's nobody. Everyone must be hanging out somewhere else. Guess you're... Missing out. Hi, I'm looking for Holly. Holly's not been here since about an hour ago when she left to go to the movie. That's impossible. We were supposed to go together. These people, they're having so much fun without me. What am I supposed to do about this, Juno? Juno! Okay, it's not a real movie, <laughs> but I think you get the point. And I think if we're really honest, many of us have this nagging sense that we're missing out. And no doubt, social media has, it, has increased the intensity and the uh, frequency of FOMO. Sometimes when I'm on Facebook, my FOMO kicks in. Last Sunday night, I was on Facebook, and I saw this selfie my friend uh, posted. He's a lifelong Minnesota Viking fan, and he posted his reaction after that miraculous playoff game last Sunday night, and I felt my FOMO kicking in, really just Mo uh, missing out. Now, FOMO might be, you know, harmless when it comes to a party or an event or the playoffs, but do you ever have an aching sense that you're missing out on the life that you've really always wanted? Uh, I think a lot of us long for something more. We feel like the life that we're, we're living isn't the life, isn't the life that we should be living or could be living, too often we find ourselves just kind of surviving the day, and deep down we know there's got to be something more to this. Even coming here on the weekends can contribute to these feelings. Sometimes we have people share how God's worked and just changed their life dramatically. We talk about the scriptures, maybe a character like Daniel who had such strong faith that he'd rather face death by lions then turn his back on God. We talk about people who walked with Jesus and witnessed miracles, and then they went and turned the world upside down. And it makes us pause and ask, is what I'm living for worth dying for? Is there something more? Am I missing out? Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you feel that way right now. And so during this series, we have challenged each other to pray these dangerous prayers that invite God to lead us into a deeper experience 
as Jesus followers. These prayers invite God to do something new in our relationship with him, something that we call celebrate. These prayers challenge us to connect more deeply with each other in the church family. And these prayers stretch us to contribute to the world in ways that will make more and better followers of Jesus. But you know what the truth is for me personally? My prayers are oftentimes too safe and too weak. Prayers like, you know, just God be with me, God watch over me, God bless me, and nothing wrong with those prayers. Safe prayers are good. Safe prayers are, are fine, but you know what? Safe prayers aren't gonna, aren't gonna help me become a better follower of Jesus. I think sometimes when I pray, God says, really, Ben, that's all you got? That's all you're trusting me to do in your life today? And so if you don't wanna miss out on the, on the life that God has for us, it's gonna involve these dangerous prayers that, that uh, challenge us to grow and uh, change and move forward in our faith. And so today we're going to unpack a really dangerous prayer that uh, King David prayed in Psalm 139. I cannot think of a more courageous and dangerous prayer that you and I could ever uh, pray. It's 24 verses long, but I'm going to focus in on just the last two uh, verses where David prays this, search me, O God, and know my heart, Test and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now this uh, dangerous prayer, I think, can really be summed up with these two words here, search me. Would you say that out loud with me? Ready? Search me. Yeah. I mean, um, that's not typically something that we pray about, right? Um, have, you ever, have you ever prayed a prayer like this? God, examine my, my life. God, examine my heart. Show me... Uh, uh, my, my sin and lead me in a better uh, way. That's not typically how we uh, pray. I mean, I think we'd say it's a beautiful prayer, a powerful uh, prayer, but we tend to avoid prayers like this for several reasons. One reason is because of the gravitational pull toward what's easy and comfortable. And praying search me is not easy or comfortable. Another reason we don't pray search me is because our lives get so busy. We just live at this pace of 100 miles an hour We've got schedules, we've got events, and it's difficult for us to slow down and to sit down and to really pray, God, search me and open our lives up to him. Here's another reason I think that we avoid prayers like this. We, we think praying, search me, is going to lead us to feel some guilt and some shame. It, it, it seems like this prayer would be a downer, but what we discover is that David actually discovers something very surprising during this uh, prayer. Scholars believe David wrote this prayer in response to his enemies after they attacked him and they uh, questioned his motives. But instead of defending himself, David goes off and spends time with God and he prays, search me, search my heart. And look at what David discovers as he prays. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit or stand, when far away, you know my every thought. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment, you know where I am. Look at this next part. This is too glorious, too wonderful to believe. I can never be lost to your spirit. I can never get away from, from my God. Here's what David discovers. When we take time to be examined by God, we create the opportunity to be found by God. When we, we, we discover, and we discover that we are completely and intimately known and loved by God to a depth that goes beyond what we ever imagined. When we pray, search me, we gain a new and deeper understanding of God's love 
for us. Keep that in mind, would you? Uh, remember the depth of God's love. Uh, because as we, as we go through this prayer, it will probably reveal some truths for us that are more difficult to face. But if we pray, search me, and allow God to put our hearts and our minds and our lives under the microscope, God's going to reveal some, some, some things to us that maybe we didn't know before that are going to lead us to a better life, a better way of life entirely. Now, there's four parts to the prayer. And the first part is this, God, search my heart. David prays, God, God, know my heart. You know, it's interesting, when, when we uh, describe someone that we admire, very often times we say, that person has a good heart. He's got a good heart. She's got a good heart. And what we mean by, by, by that is that this person is kind, honest, trustworthy. This person has a good heart. But in reality, no one has a perfectly good heart. That's why the uh, prophet Jeremiah wrote these words to describe our heart. He said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately and desperately uh, wicked. Notice this word deceptive here. It can also be uh, translated as uh, uh, fickle. Sometimes, in other words, sometimes our hearts trick us. Sometimes our hearts tell us that we're okay and we're not. Sometimes our hearts keep us from seeing the truth about ourselves. John Orford wrote a book called The Me That I Want to Be. He writes, there's a part of me I cannot see. For example, he says, if, a, if in a group someone is behaving off kilter, if someone has irritating mannerisms, if someone talks too much or is obnoxious, if someone is a name dropper, if someone is emotionally needy and everybody cringes when they see that person coming because they know that person's going to suck the life right out of them, who is the last person in the group to know? The person who has the problem. The person who has the problem is the last person to know they have a problem. And the, and the truth is, every one of us struggles with this same problem. There's a part of me I cannot see, and my heart keeps me from seeing the truth about myself. Last week, I, I had one of those moments when my heart tricked me. It was a Thursday night, and my wife and I had plans to go out to dinner and celebrate her birthday. And on the way to dinner, my wife was nice enough to drop me off. I, go to this, I like to go to this exercise class on, thir on Thursday nights. She dropped me off. And uh, she went to do some shopping, and then she would pick me up an hour uh, later. I didn't expect her to do that, especially on her birthday, but she was just really being extra kind. But when I got out of the car, I forgot my phone in, in, the, in the car. Anybody ever do that? And I, I didn't think it'd be a big deal. Um, but it's crazy busy around this gym where she would pick me up. You can't just pull up to the door and wait because you'll block the traffic. And so an hour later, when she arrived, she found a, a parking place and texted me the location. Uh, but since I didn't have my phone, and it's a huge parking lot, and it's dark out, and it's like minus one, I couldn't find her. Five minutes pass, 10 minutes pass. She's thinking, I'm, my class is running late. 15 minutes pass, now I'm getting worried about her. Maybe she had an accident, maybe she got robbed. I'm thinking of all these worst case scenarios. Maybe she's desperate and trying to call me, but I don't have my phone until I finally went in and asked someone and borrowed a phone and called her, and she was sitting in the car nearby uh, listening to music, and uh, so I went over, I found her, and, and, I, and I got in the car. Now, when I got in the car, you would think I would say, I'm sorry that I forgot my phone and made you wait, but instead, my heart got ticked off. She should have figured out. 
I didn't have my phone. She should have went looking for me. She should apologize to me. But I got in the car, and since it was her birthday, I kept my mouth shut. I'm not that dumb. And I, and I, I cooled off, and uh, a moment later, I realized I screwed up by forgetting my phone. It caused all the confusion. And so I apologized, and we had a great dinner. But my selfish heart almost fooled me. See, my heart, your heart, tricks us and keeps us from seeing the truth about ourselves. And sometimes it makes us believe that we're better than we really are, that we're smarter than we really are, or we're stronger than we really are. Our heart says things like, I'm not full of pride. I'm not full of pride. I can't help it that I'm better than everybody else. I don't gossip. I never gossip. I'm just telling people so they can pray for these people who do all these bad things. I'm not going to drink too much. I'm just going to have one drink. I don't struggle with lust. I just admire a nice physique. Our heart deceives us. Sometimes it tells us that we're better than we are. And you know, there are times when it tells us, our heart tells us that we're worse than we are. Our heart tries to fool us. And so that's why we need this prayer where we go before God and we say, God, search my heart. Show me any deception in there, anything that's out of line and needs to go. And it'll be a dangerous prayer because God will begin showing you some things in your heart that you need to deal with so that you don't miss out on the life that God has uh, for you. David prays, show me my heart. And then second, second part of the prayer, he says, reveal, uh, reveal my fears. Verse 23, David says, God, know my anxious thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts. Question for you, what makes you afraid? What, what makes you anxious? David says, God, reveal my anxious thoughts because anxiety and fear are just huge problems uh, for many people. It's a problem for me. I mean, sometimes I find myself just laying awake at night and my mind won't turn off. Anybody have a crazy brain like mine? It just keeps going and going and twi- you know, turning things over, causing fear and anxiety. David had the same problem. He said, God, reveal my anxious thoughts. Reveal my fears. And so what makes you afraid? What makes you afraid? What makes you anxious? And I'm not talking about spiders you know, or, um, or, or snakes or the man behind the, the, the shower curtain in the uh, bathroom. Um, you know, he's never there, right? But I check every single time that I go into the, into the uh, bathroom. I'm not talking about that guy. What is it internally that makes you afraid, that makes you anxious? Maybe it's a fear of losing your job. Maybe it's a fear of not being married at a certain age or a fear that your marriage is never going to get any better. Maybe it's a fear of failure, a fear of losing somebody, maybe a fear of the, of the future. Here's why it's so important for us to ask God to reveal our fears. You know, many people think, many, many people don't acknowledge their fears. and They just say, oh, everybody worries about that. But it's important for us to, to, to specifically identify our fears and ask God to help us. And here's why. What I fear the most is often, is usually where I'm trusting God the least. Think about that. What I fear the most is usually where I trust God the, the, the least. When, when my fear is high, my trust is low. And so if I'm scared to death that my marriage isn't going to work, I'm not trusting God with my marriage. If, if I'm terrified I'm not going to be able to pay my bills, I'm not trusting God to provide for me. If I'm overprotective of my children, if I'm just you know, paralyzed by worry over my kids, I'm not trusting my, my children uh, to God. 
What you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. And that's why we need to ask God to help us identify our, our fear, our specific fears, so that we can hold that fear up to, the, up to the truth of God's word and God's promises to see if it's valid. I'm learning to do this in, in my life. I uh, feel so grateful to serve here and work with a church where, where, where God is, is, is working and, and growing our church. And I love the people that I, got to, that I get to work with, and I'm so excited about what we have coming up this next year. But if I'm being honest... You know, we've got some big steps we're taking this year as part of Unfinished, and I'm dealing with some fear. Fear of failing, fear of not teaching well, fear of not leading well, fear of letting people down. But here's what I'm learning. I need to single out my fears and pray through promises in God's word. You know, for example, this promise where, where it says, cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all your anxiety on Jesus. Because he cares for you. I don't do that very well. I cast my anxiety on me. And I try to manage my fears. But I'm learning to cast all my fears on him because he cares for me. Another promise in scripture says God's not given me a spirit of fear. But a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. My fear doesn't come from God. No. God's spirit is trying to release me from fear. So sing, I single out my fears, pray through promises in Scripture. And I can't say my fears are entirely gone. I don't think fear will ever really fully be gone this side of heaven. But it dissipates my fears. They're less crippling. And I'm able to take a step of faith and do what God uh, leads me uh, to do. Very often, fear reveals where you trust God the least. And this dangerous prayer, it's going to help you get at the root of those fears so you can replace the fear with faith and peace, and trust. So uh, David prays, examine my heart, reveal my fears. And then third, part three here, David prays, show me my sins. He says to God, uh, see if there is any offensive way in me. God, you know, show me any, any wrongdoing in my life. God, show me the dirt in my life. That's a difficult prayer to pray. Have you noticed how, how much easier it is to see other people's sins rather than our own? What we do sometimes is, is, is accuse other people and excuse ourselves. It's difficult to see our sins in the, in the mirror. It's kind of like the fear of going to the doctor for a health uh, checkup. You ever had that fear of going to the doctor? I have. Uh, a couple of years ago, my doctor, because of my age, sent me for a uh, routine cancer screening. He, he wrote one of these orders for a uh, colonoscopy. And uh, I was terrified <laughs> of that. And I procrastinated for a year. And finally, my doctor talked me into it. And so I went ahead and I did. And it was not nearly as scary as I thought it would be. But I'm, I'm so glad my daughter, my, my, my doctor talked me into it. Because he wanted to protect my health and my life. Uh, many of you know, about a year and a half ago, my wife went in for a routine checkup, a mammogram that led to a, a biopsy and the discovery that she had breast cancer. That's a scary discovery. But that checkup and discovery, that protected and probably saved her life. Her doctors told her over and over, we're so glad you went in for a checkup so that we caught this early. We're confident that we've removed all of it. And you see, sin is a lot like cancer. Sin wants to grow and spread and destroy our lives. But when we pray, search me, and show, show me any offensive way in me. Here's what we're doing. We're putting our lives in the hands of a skilled surgeon who can see and diagnose 
and remove the disease in, in my life. That's why we need this dangerous prayer. Because on our own, we can't see our, our, all of our sin. Sin is like a blind spot in our lives. And we need help in order to be able to see it. A few years ago, as a part of the leadership summer, this global gathering of leaders, Pastor Bill Hybels talked about uh, one of his blind spots. I thought this was really good. Take a look. The definition of a blind spot is something someone believes they do well, but everyone on the team knows that it's not true. Research from the Lominger Group suggests that all of us leaders, on average, all of us leaders have 3.4 blind spots. And I can prove it right now. Because when I just gave you that stat, 3.4 blind spots in your life, 100% of you just said to yourself, not me. 100%. No, not me. I don't have any. It's because you're blind to your blind spots, you see? No, we would all admit to having some weaknesses, and you could name them, and you're working on them. That's cool. But the danger with blind spots is that you really have no idea they exist. So... For decades, I have prided myself for being cool under pressure. I was a fantastic poker player in college. I'm low drama. I rarely raise my voice, slam doors, or pound on any tables. I'm great under pressure, so much so very few people ever even know when I'm stressed, or so I thought. <laughs> several years ago, a perfect storm of pressure came into my life, which lasted several months, but I was going to stay calm, cool, and collected. I wasn't going to let anyone know I was under stress or make anybody else pay because I'm awesome under pressure. Did I mention that? I'm awesome <laughs> under pressure. One day during that era, as a female colleague of mine was leaving my office, she got to my office door, she turned around and she said, you don't even know that you make all of us crazy when you're stressed out. You don't even know that, do you? She said, just because you're on a crazy train right now gives you no right to expect that we all have to ride it too. So just so that you know, I'm not getting on the crazy train with you this time. <laughs> I'm going to stay at the station and wave bye-bye to you and whoever else wants to get on that train. She goes, I'm done with that. So she closes the door and leaves. I was speechless, okay? So... I, I sat there thinking to myself, I'm better under pressure than any senior leader I know. She ought to thank God on her knees every day that she works for a boss who can carry tremendous loads of pressure without anybody even knowing about it, much less having to pay for it. The nerve. After work that day, I went running with a trusted friend, and I told him how a colleague of mine had accused me of something totally untrue of me. I, I told him how wronged I felt, how misunderstood and hurt I was to be falsely accused of not being cool under pressure. My running partner stopped dead in the middle of the street we were running on, and he said, are you kidding me, Hybels? Everybody knows when you're stressed. When you're stressed, you put stress on all of us. And then his next sentence was kind of the capper. He said, when you overwork, you're not happy unless everyone around you is overworking too. And we all know it, and we all feel it, but you don't get it. That was quite a moment of truth for me. That was the moment I saw my blind spot in all of its ugliness. It's very disappointing to me. How could I have not seen this in myself? So I started confessing this to my friends, and they tried to be very understanding. They're going, the light bulb just went on now, dude. 
That's what blind spots are. Yeah, what's your blind spot? You all have them. If you have no clue, how would you go about figuring out? Here's a few questions that I ask myself. Number one, what's God telling me about this? What's God telling me about this? David said, God, show me my sin. If you open yourself up to God and his word, he will begin nudging you by his Holy Spirit. He will bother you. And so you'll say something, you'll do something, and you'll have this sense of, oh, no, I don't think I should have done that. That's God's spirit. What is God saying to you about your blind spot? Second question, what are other people telling me? You know, if I've got three or four friends saying, Ben, are you aware of this? I should probably be aware of that because chances are they're pointing out a blind spot in my life that I cannot see. And it's going to hurt me if I don't get after that. Final question, where am I most offensive? So if somebody comes to me and says something about my life and, and I respond like, come on, don't bother me with that. You know, get off my back. That's your problem, not mine. Chances are when I'm defensive like that, there's an issue in my life that I'm trying to hide or cover up. David prays, show me my sin. Show me any wrongdoing in my life. And then the final part, the fourth part of this prayer, David ends it by saying, God, lead me to a better way. David says, lead me. I love this phrase, lead me in the way everlasting. And so the first three parts of the prayer, examine my heart, examine my fears, show me my sin. But this fourth part of the prayer really makes a shift. This fourth part is really about changing behavior. God, what is my next step? God, lead me in a better way. For example, if your heart is filled with anger, what are you going to do to overcome that? If your heart is full of greed and it drives you to a habit of overspending, what are you going to do to break that habit? If your heart is full of uh, just criticism and a critical spirit that just drives people away, if you wonder why you're not able to sustain relationships, What are you going to do to change that? David says, God, lead me in a better way. It's about seeing something wrong inside of me that's causing problems and deciding to follow God's plan to overcome this this issue. In his book, The The, uh, Power of the Other, Dr. Henry Cloud, psychologist, uh, talks about a friend, writes about a friend of his who was an alcoholic who lost everything because of his addiction. Cloud says, the guy used to be a horrible alcoholic, lost three businesses, several marriages. But by the time I had met him, he'd been sober for 20 years. And so I asked him, how'd you become sober? The guy said, really, it wasn't that hard. I went to three AA meetings a day. Cloud said, a day? He said, yes, my goal was to make it from the morning AA meeting to the noon AA meeting without stopping at the liquor store. Then to make it to the evening meeting after that. I did that for several weeks. And then when I got stronger, I went to one meeting a day. Now, 20 years later, I go to a couple meetings a week. In other words, he did something about it. He created some structure in his life so that he could take next steps. The AA meetings provided the structure that he needed to overcome a problem that had sabotaged his life. David prayed, God, lead me in a better way. God, I'm aware of some things that are wrong inside of me. God, show me what to do about it. And so, God, if my heart is full of greed, what do I do about this? God, lead me out of this. If my heart is full of 
impurity and, and lust, and I treat other people as ob- objects. God, lead me in a better way. If my heart is full of anger and it hurts all my relationships, God, lead me in a better way. If my heart is full of anxiety about my finances, about my health, about my future, God, lead me. God, please lead me in a a better way. What action will you take to overcome the deception, the fears, the sin that that causes you problems? God, lead me in a better way. I'm I'm so glad and and grateful that today, after we talk about this dangerous prayer, we we have the opportunity to share communion together before uh, we leave, a time when God can really show us some of these things inside of us, and we can confess to him so that he can put us on a better path. And so I want to give you a few challenges. First, pray this dangerous prayer today during communion, and then pray it every day. Here it is again. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I believe God wants to answer that prayer in your life. Let him examine you. Let him direct you to any any lies, any fears, any sins that need to be addressed and the plan that he has for your future. Say that prayer during communion and then say it every day. Second challenge, create space in your life to pray and to hear from God every day. Because you know what? It's really... You really can't pray, search me, examine me on the run, on the go. You've got to really slow down to allow God to search us and reveal these things to us, not just during communion, not just on the weekend, but, but every day. And so we, we have a resource. If you're interested in, in some help, we found and adapted a self-guided prayer time that will help you do a prayer of examination. You can pick up copies of it at the Connect wall after the service or go to our website to the current series page under the next steps tab and you'll find that that prayer exercise third challenge is this partner with god in carrying out his mission in the world much of this prayer uh, focuses on allowing god into the hidden parts of our inner world our personal uh, world but when david prays god lead me in the way everlasting that involves going outside of our personal world to carry out god's mission in the world by making more and better followers of Jesus. Maybe God leads you to show his love to a coworker who is struggling and and would be open to an invitation to church. Maybe God leads you to show his love to a homeless person. We pray, we pray, search me, and then God leads us to carry out his mission in this world. And that's why throughout this series, we've challenged you to pray for this opportunity that God has, has, has put in front of us to launch a new campus a new location for River Glen this fall in, in Pewaukee. We've been telling you about that these last couple weeks, and I want to just give you a brief update. We got some really good news on, on Thursday night. I'm thrilled to tell you that the, uh, the Pewaukee Plan Commission approved our plan to use the old American building for this location. So thank you for your prayers. That is just great, great news. But keep praying. We've got one more approval next month. In fact, we would, we would love for you to make a commitment to pray for the Pewaukee location. You can do that. There's a card in front of you that you, you can fill out. And if you live in Pewaukee or near Pewaukee, we want you to go and help launch that, that campus this fall. We want to send at least 200 people 
to Pewaukee. Just fill out the card in the chair back in front of you. You can give that to Dave Cole in the lobby at the Connect Wall after the service. And also, one more thing about Pewaukee. We've got a couple informational meetings coming up next Sunday and the Sunday after that, after the 1030 service in the Family Life Center. If you're interested in being part of the launch team, or maybe you're just curious, you just want to find out more uh, about it, uh, go to the Family Life Center after the 1030 service, either of those weeks. We invite God to come in and really examine our life, and, and then we do what he leads us to do. Because at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, we want to know that we made the most of every opportunity, of every gift, of every resource that God's given us. And that's why I think the greatest antidote to FOMO, remember, F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out on the life that God has for us, is this prayer. God, search me and lead me in the, in, in the everlasting way. Lead me in the better way. And communion is a chance for each of us to pray this dangerous prayer and kind of re-cleanse and confess and recommit our lives. And so when the trays come down your row, I want to invite you to take a communion cup out of the tray if, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus. This communion is open to you. Just take the cup, hold it, hold it for a moment, a minute or two, and just pray quietly. God, search my heart. Is there any deceitfulness or impurity that I need to confess? Second part of the prayer, God, examine my anxious thoughts. Reveal my fear. God, where am I afraid? Third part of the prayer, show me my sin. Is there any habit or pattern or, or attitude that's sinful and needs to go. And then the fourth part, God, lead me in a better way. During communion, remember, the bread represents Christ's broken body that was sacrificed for you. The juice represents his blood that was spilled, dripping from his, from his hands, from his feet, from his elbows, into the dirt beneath the cross. Scripture says that Jesus Christ was a supreme sacrifice for all of our sin and that those who put their full trust in him will be forgiven. So as you, as you hold the bread and as you hold the cup, thank Jesus for what he uh, did. Remember what he did and confess your sin to him. And then after you reflect for a moment, go ahead and serve yourself communion by eating the bread and drinking the juice. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the gift of relationship with you that was all made possible through the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. God, I'm just amazed that we can open our lives up to you and, and pray, search me. And instead of feeling condemned or rejected, it actually leads us to being found by you. It leads us to a new understanding of your love that goes way beyond what we imagined. God, as we share communion, we want to pray this prayer, search me. We want you to examine us right here and right now and reveal any lies or fears or sins that we need to release or confess because we want to follow Jesus. We want to follow him better and live the life that we were meant to live. And it's in his name I pray, amen.